The union representing B.C.'s paramedics and emergency dispatchers says it's no surprise the ambulance shortage is now impacting urban areas of our province too. The ambulance paramedics of B.C. represents over 4,500 ambulance paramedics and emergency dispatchers across our province. Uh, Joining us to talk more about this, Regional Vice President Ian Tate on the line. Ian, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good of you to join us today, Ian. Uh, unfortunately, you don't bring very good news. Uh, we hear, for example, uh, stories of uh, Gabriola Island this weekend, little or no ambulance service, more rural areas with little or no ambulance service. The ER in Clearwater is closed again this weekend. Uh, the, the message is, is pretty dire. Uh, tell, tell us more in terms of projections for the future, Ian. This is what this is about this morning. Yeah, we're obviously very concerned about the staffing levels. It's been an issue for a long time, but it's definitely uh, gotten much worse over the summer. Uh, Even just for viewers in Vancouver, there was no ambulance in New Westminster last night at the station. There's uh, two ambulances just out of a station around the Royal Columbian. Mm -hmm. Both of them were empty last night. Um, There are stations surrounding New Westminster that fill in when they can, but they also were suffering from staffing issues last night as well. So here we are on a summer weekend in a major metropolitan centre. I live in New Westminster. This is a little upsetting for me to hear, David. Uh, you know, I, I actually live fairly close to Royal Columbian, too. Uh, but, you know, so what's the protocol? If, for example, there's a call in New Westminster where there are no standing uh, ambulances all set to go, how does it work? Who, who comes next on the priority list or where does the call get transferred to? So it's a giant chessboard, and that's what we're really concerned about is, is running out of pieces. So Burnaby, Tri-Cities area, Surrey, all the bridges that kind of come in, uh, they'll try to move resources around. And the issue is they always try to make sure that the most high-priority calls get an ambulance sent to them. Right. So the problem being, if you do not have a very serious emergency, there's going to be a significant wait or the potentials there. So that's when we see the, the, the poor lady from Surrey last week that waited 10 hours on the floor with right. a broken hip mm-hmm. because she was not a life or death emergency. So we're seeing wait times for those types of things to go through the roof. I can imagine the, uh, and I'm just trying to imagine myself in the role of of a 911 call center person, Ian, uh, dealing with that. For example, that call from Surrey where a woman has fallen and broken her hip and can't move, but she's not going to die necessarily. And and you have to process this information on the fly and decide whether or not it's an urgent enough priority to dispatch an ambulance immediately or to put her further down the list. You get enough of calls like that, shift after shift after shift. I'm thinking those dispatchers are about as worn down in terms of psychological burnout as anybody else in the health business. Yeah, I think the hard part about being an emergency dispatcher or a call taker as well up there is that when you determine that it's not life or death and they get put on the board as needing an ambulance and they're always checking back in on a regular basis to see how they're doing, if it's been upgraded or not. And I think the hardest part for them is knowing that there is no ambulance being dispatched Mm -hmm. and they can tell that it's most likely not going to be dispatched for some time as all the critical calls are piling up at the same time. So I think it's very hard for our dispatchers to know, hey, I'm on the phone with this lady. I'm telling her we're going to send an ambulance as soon as we can, but they know it is not going to be soon at all. Mm -hmm. 
So what? Uh, uh, talking staffing issues, and this, I read this interesting uh, this article in the New West Record, actually, Ian, uh, as a, a preamble to, to inviting you to join the show. So is it just, is it staffing? Do we simply not have enough paramedics? And is there a, a problem in terms of recruitment? So the, the union has really been kind of sounding the alarm for years that we were anticipating major staffing issues going into 2022. And to be honest with you, COVID kind of gave us a little bit of a, a year or two release there. But BCEHS only in the last three to four months has made staffing a priority. And our problem is uh, with recruitment and retention, we're not going to see the people that they hired yesterday really start to help for months if not years down the road once they get trained so a lot of the staffing stuff that they're doing now should have been done two years ago right now there's other there's other issues obviously about um mental health and wellness like up to 30 percent of our members are suffering from significant mental health and wellness issues whether they're at work getting treatment or off work getting assistance and a lot of that is actually kind of a, a circular issue from the staffing the burnout the workload from ambulances being out of service and sat, sitting empty as well. It's kind of a vicious cycle then, isn't it? Because you're, 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 you're taking a, a necessary time off or just a mental health time uh, because you're burned out because you're filling in for people who aren't there. And then so when you're taking your time off, there's another vacancy, someone else who isn't there, uh, and, and it compounds. And you've been talking about this for a while. Hi, why do you figure it's taken so blinking long, Ian, to get somebody going, well, we should, do, we should deal with this? Well, unfortunately, and I hate to say it, is you know the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? So only in the last six months, when when the real issues of how bad the staffing has been, and and this is something that kind of frustrates us from senior leadership. So if you ask senior leadership with BCHS today, do we have a staffing crisis? They are very hesitant to admit that publicly for whatever reasons. I don't want to speak for them, but we've we've been saying you know the the worst part about being in a crisis is if you don't realize you're in that crisis. Yeah. And the union realizes it, the media realizes it, our members most certainly realize it, and the public is realizing it as well. So everyone's on board except, you know, the, the, the senior leadership of BCEHS. Uh, I live in New West where the Justice Institute is located, Ian. Is that where British Columbia's paramedics receive their formal training? Yeah, so the, the way that that works is there's a certain amount of seats that are funded for primary care paramedic training a year. I believe it's 220, if not a few more, for the Justice Institute. So if you look at, let's just say that, you know, there's a couple other training facilities throughout the province as well. So let's say if 250 or 300 paramedics are certified per year through okay. one of those areas, less than half of those 300 people are even applying for a job with BC Ambulance because of industry, because of, you know, other um, training facilities or other jobs like the fire department, they're using those training as prerequisites for other jobs. Ah, so not, uh, not all of the candidates in the paramedics training program are actually going to end up being paramedics. Yeah, we're, we're seeing less and less come to BCEHS. And I can tell you right now, the number one reason is because we are paid so significantly below other emergency services. So if you look at police, fire, and even nursing, paramedics are paid 30% less 
than every one of those other first responders. So uh, now we're in, in a cycle right now, Ian, where we've got uh, one uh, a group of government employees already off the job and, and uh, negotiating. Uh, the nurses and the teachers are in the wings. There's a whole lot of public sector contracts coming up for negotiation and renewal in the weeks ahead. Are you on that list as well? We are. Our contract expired in April. Um, We've been working with senior leadership with government to kind of address a few outstanding issues. We're really fighting for mental health and wellness funding. We've made it very clear and we've brought a lot of solutions to the table about how to fix staffing, how to address the wage gap, how to look at deployment models and what's working, what's not working. We've made it clear that you can't pay paramedics in remote BC $2 an hour an ambulance anymore and we're hoping that that's going to work i'm sorry i i your, your phone broke up just at that very important part you can't pay people in in remote areas of british columbia what was it two bucks an hour what less sorry about that yeah so not not two dollars an hour less two dollars an hour so oh. on remote communities we have pager pay where it's like an old shadow of the on-call system so a lot of paramedics in rural and remote bc are still being paid two dollars an hour to to staff an ambulance Ah, okay. Well, so obviously there's a lot of work ahead. Do you have any confidence whatsoever uh, as you look at this big picture dealing with shortages and and the obvious burnout factors that you've already addressed? What's your confidence level that some kind of deal that realistically addresses your concerns is going to get done before the end of the calendar year? Well, I'm very positive about it because I think that everybody is in alignment that there's serious investment needs to be ha- to, to happen here if we're going to have a properly functioning ambulance service. Because we're at the tipping point now where if something doesn't happen, we're seeing every day ambulances sitting empty. We're seeing patients wait longer and longer. Yeah. We are seeing people die from ambulances not being staffed. And we saw it in Ashcroft. We see it in communities throughout B.C., um, so those are happening. And I think that uh, government does realize that. They do realize that they need a significant change in investment. I'm just hoping it can happen sooner than later. Yeah, well, they've just popped up $118 million to try and help the family docs uh, out of their conundrum in terms of being a small business as well as being a healthcare professional. That's a Band-Aid, but at least it's something. Are you expecting even a Band-Aid? Well, we... <laughs> If we put it in our terms, the, the significant bleeding rupture that we have is not going to be fixed with a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. We need, need surgical intervention to stop the bleeding. Um, and, I'm, and I'm really hoping that we've driven that message to government and uh, on behalf of our members that, that something needs to change and it needs to change now. Interesting. The uh, president of the College of Family Physicians of British Columbia was on the show a little earlier, Ian, and said pretty much the same thing. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Uh, we wish you success in your negotiations going forward. You do terribly important work, Ian. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.